Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, anybody notice a little different weather than last week? Man, I don't know about you, but I woke up last week and I saw that ice and I was up. I had like my battle station set up at 5 a.m. with the weather. And uh, I, I was like looking at the ice going, no, not on baptism weekend. This can't happen. Not on baptism weekend. But we prevailed because now we have a 60 degree sunny day and we have a whole bunch of people down here that are going to get baptized this morning. So we're really excited about the day. Uh, my name's Bill. I want to welcome you here today. If it's your first time, we really hope that you have a great morning, that you meet some friends, that you connect and you start by starting point. You'll notice out in the lobby also, we had a little redecorating done. Anybody notice my motorcycle out there? Anybody? That's the only, my wife is a nurse, and so I figured that's the only way I'll ever get one is if I win one at church, because uh, she won't let me do it on my own. But that motorcycle out there has a great story behind it. That was donated to us, uh, and that, the whole purpose of that motorcycle this morning is a raffle. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. A raffle in church? Absolutely. Uh, we are still raising funds for our Everyone campaign, the same campaign that built our Clinton Township ongoing building right now. They got us to Traverse City campus, and they're raising uh, a few million dollars for our Birmingham campus when property becomes available for us to be able to put a down payment. So that bike out there is a great opportunity for you to buy a raffle ticket. Uh, You can say it's your bike too. Don't worry. I'm not going to get angry at you. But you can go check that out. It's a great opportunity. Uh, We are still in the midst of this Everyone campaign, and God is doing amazing things through it. Hey, where are my ladies in the room who have been to Smash before? Any of you out there? I always get a woohoo when I say Smash. That's kind of That's par for the course. So Smash is our annual women's event up at Spring Hill. And listen, if you've never been to Smash before, you have to know I have never been because I'm a male and it's a female event. But from what I hear, it is amazing. Tons of community, craziness, chaos, lots of coffee, and a ton of Jesus. And so if you are a woman in the room right now that's looking for an opportunity to get plugged in, hey, head up to Smash on the 18th through the 20th. Great lineup of speakers. Ann Wilson, Kristen Schoenbeck, uh, Sue Anderson, and our own Angela Johnson will be up there speaking. And so make sure that you go online and check this out. One of the things you may not know is Smash traditionally sells out. A women's event up at Spring Hill camping sells out. So make sure you go online and register for that so you don't lose your spot. And the last thing I have today for you, this is really awesome. I love our local events that we do here. We have a local event uh, coming up. It's a, it's a class slash experience called Bible Basics. And this is going to happen on Wednesday nights. It's a follow-up to kind of like an alpha or an FPU or intentional parenting. It's an event where you're going to, for a series of weeks, learn how to read the Bible and how to understand the Bible. We get that so much. What am I supposed to do with the Bible? How do I read it? How do I engage with it? How do I understand it? And Jenny Warns and her team are leading this Bible Basics class on Wednesday nights. And so you can get more information in the lobby. It starts this Wednesday, and there's a limited amount of seats. But we would love you there uh, in your community, local, learning about the Bible with people at Kensington, Birmingham. So make sure you talk to them about Bible basics and find out more information. Like I said before, this is a great morning. We are in this series called Riding the Storm, and this is one of our local baptism weekends. But before we get there, I'm going to challenge you to stand up, stretch your arms, but don't punch somebody. Learn a few names, and we'll be back in a moment.
good morning, guys. My name's Josh. Um, I know you just sat down. I'm going to invite you to stand back up. We're going to sing together, and uh, this song has become special for our campus. In fact, it's turning into an anthem for all of Kensington. We shared this song together at Easter, if you were here. It's called Living Hope, and um, I think the reason, one of the reasons that it's just uh, captivated us as a church and us as a campus, especially here at Birmingham, is because this song is really, it's our story. And we have a God who is a God of rescue. And our God has rescued us literally from a place that we could not save ourselves from. It was an eternity separated from him. So if you're new here, we put the words on the screen. And um, my hope and our hope and prayer this morning is that this song would connect to you like it's been connecting with us. And it would resonate in a very real place. So let's sing this together this morning.
has no claim on me. Sing that again. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the thank you for rescuing us from sin, from shame, from the grave, and an eternity separated with you. God, we gather in your name this morning. It's the name above all other names. We love you in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Yeah, we brought that song out on Easter weekend, Easter Sunday. And as we dove into Easter this year and really thought about the unbelievable miracle that the the resurrection of Jesus Christ truly was. It's a powerful story to see how Jesus forever beat the power of sin and death and he rose victoriously from the grave. And now because of that, we can be free, as that song said. But it's amazing. I, I look back, I look at my own life and I think, wow, I have been saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. And yet so often, I don't always feel like that's a miracle. Sometimes I take my salvation for granted. But when you think about what had to happen in order for me to truly be free, what we believe happened is that I, apart from Jesus Christ, before his work and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, before that, I was, the Bible says, I was dead in my sins. In other words, death had a grip on me. Sin had a hold on me. Chains were on me. I was in the prison of sin. 
And yet, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, something happens. Something profound, something absolutely life-changing and and future-changing and family-changing and generations-changing. What happens is that I am literally brought from death to life spiritually. There is a resurrection that happens to me spiritually. And that is a miracle. But, But how often do I look at miracle stories and I think of times where... Somebody was physically healed or, or something financially happens or, or something along those lines where I'm like, man, I just want to see miracles like that. And yet Jesus, if you read the Bible, you'll see that Jesus, when he walked the earth, he consistently said, all you want to see are miracles. The bigger miracle was him forgiving people's sins. If you remember the story of the healing of the paralytic. We, we talked through that story in here. We're actually going to do something about it, uh, do that story again in a few weeks. But it's this beautiful story of this man who was paralyzed, who's brought to the feet of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does is forgive his sins. And the room kind of like, what is this guy doing? That's a, that's a massive deal. He's saying he's God. And Jesus says to the crowd, hey, what's easier to say? That your sins are forgiven or to stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I say to you, so that you will know I have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And he does. So Jesus took a physical miracle just to show everyone that he was God. And so it's interesting, when you look at the Bible, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, the Bible consistently raises and prioritizes salvation, the forgiveness of sins, as the greatest miracle, even above physical healings and other things that we would we would think are bigger so we are going to talk a little bit about miracles today and i just need to tell you i experienced a miracle this morning and the miracle was my wife is out of town and so i have the girls just me just me and i got them both ready and they look good and their hair was done i gave them both uh two well two out of three were with me harley is with my uh in-laws she's with my in-laws so not full miracle maybe partial miracle but i'm like you know what I think all three in the morning with church and everything, that might be a little too much. So Harley's with grandma and grandpa. But, um, but giving them baths, and London's got like Rapunzel hair, like really long, and, and conditioner, and the whole nine yards last night, this morning. Now, before Angela left, she laid out everything for me. I'm like, sweetie? She's like, you'll find socks. I'm like, no, please, socks. Put them there. Underwear, everything. Everything. I want to stack right here, Sunday, with a big sign. Don't miss it. So last night before I went to bed, I laid out on, on the couch downstairs, like as if they were there. It was like shirt, pants, everything was there. This morning, they stumbled out of bed. I was like, got them ready. Fruit Loops out the door. Yep, we're real healthy. Fruit Loops this morning with a banana. Okay, so before you judge. Um, so miracles do happen because they're here and they're in their class. And I told the story because they're not in the room because they would probably wonder what I'm talking about. Miracles, miracles absolutely still happen. And those of you who have been in a situation like that knows that that is no small feat. And on a morning where I'm speaking, that's extra stressful. So it went well today. And so I feel pretty good. But we're going to dive into the text today. We're going to look at a story. Uh, this series is called Riding the Storm. And this was supposed to happen last Sunday. But the storm rode us out of town. So, uh, so we're doing this again this week. And you know what? I always look at things like that. I'm like, there had to be some kind of a reason. 
So I'm looking forward to what's going to happen today to show us what the reason was that it didn't happen last week. Someone's here today that needed to be here that couldn't be here last week. Something's going to happen today that wouldn't have happened last week. So I'm just telling you, that's how God works. So let's just see what happens. So we're going to start out in Acts chapter 16. And this Riding the Storm series is just, it's, it's a focus on four stories, now three, but four in its original idea, uh, from the life of Paul, where he faced incredible obstacles, something really intense was going on, and we're looking at the storms in his life and applying them to the storms in our lives, and hopefully we're finding hope in Jesus through it. And so in this particular story, Paul is with Silas, someone who traveled with him, often in the New Testament, and was sort of a partner in ministry, and they found themselves in Philippi. And Philippi was a city, about, a population of about 10,000 people, connected to the Roman Empire, and very much a Gentile city. In fact, there's no historical records that there was really any Jewish presence there. There were no synagogues they found, uh, nothing like that. So, so here's Paul and Silas going to a non-Jewish audience to talk about Jesus. And when they arrived, uh, they, they, they led a few women to Christ, a woman by the name of Lydia, who was already a God-fearer, and she was a very prominent woman in Philippi, and she gave her life to Jesus and started to become the core of this church. And then there was a slave girl who was prophesying about them, but she was demon-possessed. And so Paul casts out this demon out of her and sets her free from this bondage that she was in. And when this happened, her owners that made their living off of her abilities that were given to her by this demonic force were upset. And they dragged Paul and Silas in front of the local magistrates. And they were so upset at them that they actually had them stripped. What's interesting is, They never bothered to ask either one of them if they were Roman citizens, which is really interesting. And it'll come back uh, later to that. But they strip them and they start to beat them. And they start to really mistreat them and then they order them to be thrown into prison. So that's sort of the backdrop of where we are. And so let's go to Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now it's interesting here because Luke, who is a physician by trade and wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he puts a lot of details in his stories, and they're fascinating details. But those details are there to help us dive deeper and say, what's really going on here? Why does it matter? Why does he take the time to say, he didn't just throw him in prison, but he threw him into the inner cell of the prison. And he didn't just chain him up, he chained them up into stocks. Why does that matter? There's something in that that we need to look at, that we need to figure out. Why is Luke bothering to put those details in there when other passages of Scripture say they were thrown in prison and they don't develop it? Well, it's very interesting because if you remember, the jailer was given the instructions to just keep them safely. In other words, hey, just hold these guys in prison overnight. They've already been stripped. They've already been beaten. Just keep them in jail. So what happens next is his own initiative. This jailer takes it upon himself to not just take them in and keep them safely overnight. What does he do? He puts them in the inner prison and fastens their feet to the stocks. Now the inner prison, especially the one in Philippi, in Roman prisons at this time, this, this 
inner prison was a special cell that was lower than the rest. Matt Chandler out of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas explained it really well. He said that, that the inner cell was lower than the other cells and that was designed to inflict further punishment, further abuse, further misery on those who were dwelling in the inner cell because the inner cell was reserved for the worst of the worst. The capital offenders, the absolute scum of the earth, the worst possible prisoners accused of the worst possible crimes crimes with the least rights, they are in this cell and it's lower because then the sewage from the other cells would drain into there. And so that's what they're sitting in. And then furthermore, he wasn't just chained in there. They weren't just chained in there. They were fastened into stocks. And this was a particularly um, challenging device and a way to not just hold someone in prison, but a way to actually inflict pain and punishment and even a level of torture upon the prisoners. Again, was he told to torture them? Was he told to put them in here? No, this guy took it upon himself to go to this next level of cruelty. Why? We don't know what his motivation was. We don't know. A lot of times these jails were run by former, highly decorated Roman soldiers that are now into semi-retirement overseeing a jail cell. And so here he is, he's in this condition, and the stocks were so difficult because they would stretch the feet apart and would hold the body in such a way that you could not get relief. So one of the, one of the worst ways to treat a prisoner is to deprive them of sleep. And so because they didn't have a large boombox playing Norwegian death metal all night at a high volume, like sometimes happens now, uh, they would put them in these stocks and keep them, I don't even know if Norwegian death metal is still a thing, but apparently it was. Um, so... It would be in such a contortion that your legs would be cramping and there was no way to get relief. This is not, this is not a comfortable overnight in a jail. This is very different. Look at Acts 16, verse 25. This is about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now think about this. They're in the innermost cell. It stinks. It's pitch dark now because it's midnight. Everyone else who's in the prison is like, man, I wonder what those guys did. They are in the deepest. They are in the worst spot here. And in the middle of the night, they are praying. Now, if it was you and if it was me, what would we be praying for? I'd be praying for some kind of a miraculous rescue, right? I'd be like, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do this because these stocks are really tight and this is really crazy. But boy, if you can get us out of here, that would be amazing. So they're praying and it says they're singing hymns to God in the middle of the night. And it says that the prisoners were listening, but it doesn't record any anger. It doesn't record any annoyance. It just says the other prisoners were listening to them. Isn't this interesting? Like in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this pain and suffering and even torment, they are choosing to worship God in the middle of their suffering and pain. And when that happens, what does a watching world do? They listen because it doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. Why would you be singing praise songs? Why would you be singing songs like Living Hope? Not that that was around then, but songs like that, singing out in their jail cells, under torture, under duress, and they're singing songs of worship to God. You better believe people were listening. Trying to figure out what in the world is going on in here. These guys are singing songs. 
You think about moments in your life. Those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, and you've been through times of incredible pain and suffering, think about moments when you were in the middle of that storm, in the middle of that season where you're like, I cannot take one more thing. And you grab them and you muster up the courage to get to church, or you just have the desire to turn on some worship music in your house. Have you ever noticed what happens in those moments when you sing and when you worship in the midst of your pain? Something happens. There's something about that, not only for those around you, but in your own life, where you choose to worship Jesus in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, something happens. In Psalm 34, it says, for the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's something profound. There's something spiritual, something supernatural that happens when we are going through suffering, when we're going through pain, and when we're able to give God praise in the midst of it, the world looks at that and it's like, well, I don't understand what's happening. Why aren't you mad? Why aren't you cursing? Why aren't you upset? Why aren't you spitting nails like the rest of us? A few years ago, um, I've talked about this before, but not this story, because this story came to mind when I was thinking about this. Um, Angela, my wife and I went through a season where uh, of infertility that lasted about nine years, and we tried all these things. And, and during one particular season, we were uh, uh, I was part of a young adult ministry in the area, and it was in 2008, and we did something during 2008 called 40. And what 40 was, was we took a room in our church building, and we made it into a prayer room. And then our young adult ministry, there's about 200 to 250 in it at that point, we made a decision as a young adults group to pray for 40 days straight round the clock, almost a thousand hours without breaking. So if you had eight to 9 PM, if I had eight to 9 PM and Rick Hartzell had nine to 10 PM, I didn't leave until Rick came. And if Rick didn't come, I was in there for two hours. So this beautiful peer pressure started to emerge, but it did. We went, we went for a thousand hours without breaking. We did not miss an hour and it was beautiful and it was powerful and God did unbelievable things. And in the middle of that season, we made another attempt to, for God to give us a child and we did everything we possibly could. And we went through the sort of the scientific route without, you know, there's all ages in the room. So I'll stop there. But anyway, we were waiting. We're like, hey, if it's ever going to work, it's going to be during a season where we are praying around the clock. We read the Bible cover to cover in 40 days. And Angela and I read it to each other out loud, which was crazy. It, really, it took an hour and a half every day to get through the Bible in less than six weeks. There was one Saturday where we had fallen behind and I just read six straight hours through the Chronicles and Judges. It was glorious. My wife fell asleep several times. Don't tell her I told you that. I just read it over her sleeping body. I was like, through something it's getting in there, I think. She's in the shower. I'm like, I gotta finish this chapter. <laughs> But you would think it's during a season like that that God's going to answer that incredible prayer. And so we're waiting to hear back. We're waiting to hear back. People are praying. People are writing names. In fact, what's interesting is on one of the prayer room walls in 2008, someone had written the name Lily. We still don't know who wrote it or why, but someone wrote that name on the wall and was praying over that and said they believed God was going to give us a baby girl named Lily someday, which is just a whole other story to process. But we're in the middle of that. And then we got a phone call. Mid-afternoon, I was actually sitting in the prayer room praying with my wife because we were going to be, uh, I was going to help officiate a wedding and she was actually singing in the wedding and we got the call. It didn't work again. It had failed again. Our hearts 
were shattered. How could this be? God, what are you talking about? All we're doing is praying. All we're doing is singing. I, I have to stand in front of a group of people now and officiate a wedding, which is difficult, but not impossible. But my wife had to stand in front of a large crowd and sing a song in this wedding in like an hour. And I'll never forget being like, babe, they, someone else can cover for you. Like, you know, she was a wreck. She was sobbing and weeping. She's like, no, I'm going to do it. And she stood there and she sang a song called Before the Throne of God Above. I have a strong and perfect plea. The, a great, uh, the great I am whose name I, I don't know, I'm, I'm screwing up the lyrics, sorry. Anyway, but there's this beautiful, beautiful song that she sang. Great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. I was not going to move off until I got it right. (laughs) Anyone else wired like that? Like, I'm not going to sleep. (laughs) And I'm not going to reach for my phone and Google it. Because it's not even on me. So, I had to rely on my memory banks. But she stood there and she sang. And I'm just telling you, the people who knew what was going on, there was something about her. She was worshiping and singing in the midst of some of the greatest heartbreak that we had experienced as a couple. And she stood and she sang and she testified that that before the throne of God above, she has a perfect plea and she loves him and she gave her life to him and she's testifying to the goodness of God in the middle of her suffering. I have found in my life that those who are going through the most profound suffering that have a relationship with Jesus are testifying to the goodness of God in the midst of the suffering. And those who are watching people suffer are the ones who question the goodness of God because of the suffering. But those who are going through it are like, you know what? God's with me. He's in this with me. I'm growing in my relationship with him. But some people outside, like myself included, I'm like, God, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep letting this happen? And so here's Paul, here's Silas, cramped, uncomfortable, sitting in this position, and they're singing songs of worship, and they're praying, and the prisoners around them, hardened criminals in a Roman jail, are listening. They're listening. So what happens next? Verse 26. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately... All the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. There you go. So what were they praying for? We don't know. But boy, all of a sudden an earthquake happens. And the the stocks fall off their feet. And the chains fall off everyone's wrists. And everyone's, everyone's restraints come off them. The earthquake is sent. Everyone is freed. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, it's time for the jailbreak. Let's go. After the doors are open, it's time to get out. In fact, if you remember in Acts chapter 12, Peter is asleep in a jail cell. And an angel comes to him in the middle of the night. It's like, buddy, go. Angel opens the door. Peter runs out and takes off. And he, he avoids execution. So miraculous prison escapes are sort of happening during this time in biblical history. In fact... Right after the devastating earthquake hit in Haiti a few years ago, there's a story about one of their overcrowded prisons that the earthquake hit so bad that it shook and it broke open the walls. And between that jail and another jail, 5,000 convicts raced out. Guess how many stuck around? Zero. In fact, it said even even the prison guards were running home to check on their families. Everyone just bailed because when an earthquake opens a door to a prison, you probably think you need to go, right? It's like, oh, wow, God, thank you for the dramatic opening of that wall. 
but there's a twist coming. There's a plot twist that I didn't see coming that if I look at my life, I'm not sure this would be the plot twist that would be true of my story in this moment. But something happens here. There's something that Paul and Silas believe that's different than what they saw. There's something bigger happening. Because Paul and Silas followed Jesus. And one of the teachings of Jesus about enemies was very countercultural at the time. If you remember, what did Jesus say about enemies? At the time, it was accepted. Hate your enemies, love your family, love your neighbor. And Jesus said, you've heard it said, hate your enemies and love your neighbor. I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Interesting, isn't it? What were they praying for when they were incarcerated? We don't know. But what did Jesus say to pray for in moments like that? Pray for the one who's persecuting you. Are they being persecuted right now? You better believe it. They're in prison. They did nothing wrong. They're being tortured. And Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So were they praying for a miraculous release from prison? We don't know. But what if they were praying this prayer? What if they were praying for the persecutor? What if they were praying for this cruel jailer? If you were praying for the persecutor, your reaction to the earthquake would be different than if you were praying for a miraculous rescue from your circumstances, right? Look at verse 16, or look at uh, verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. So what was his assumption? Number one, he was asleep on the job. That's already under Roman law. He's a dead man for that. We learned that on Easter Sunday, that if a guy fell asleep on his shift, it was curtains for him. He wakes up. He sees the earthquake. He sees the doors are open. He's like, okay, well, there's no one here. Because just like in Haiti, in our modern times, no one sticks around when the doors open. And so he assumes that they're all gone. So if they're all gone and he was asleep, then guess what fate he's going to face? Their fate. The fate of the prisoners. And so he's ready to take his own life rather than face the shame of a trial and all of that stuff that he was going to face. And Paul in the darkness shouts out, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. All here? Like, people besides Paul and Silas are there? Like, the other prisoners didn't move? What is going on in this jail? These guys, you would think they just heard this amazing, you know, Paul and Silas had this incredible tight harmony and they traveled around the country like Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. No, we don't know any of that stuff. But I'm just saying like they just heard this worship service. Who knows if they heard what they were praying for, but they didn't move. We don't know why they didn't move. We don't know if Paul and Silas were kind of directing traffic or explaining to them what's going to happen. We don't know. All we know is that no one had left. He says, don't harm yourself. So, it's pitch dark, so he has to find a light, and he finds a light, you know, like a torch, not like, you know, the light on his phone, which is what our minds run to probably. And he gets this light, and he comes in, he sees everyone sitting there, and the, and the stocks are off their feet. Their bonds are loose, and the chains are gone, and no one is moving. There must be something bigger. 
that Paul and Silas are looking for. There must be something bigger happening than just their rescue from jail. He falls at their feet, trembling with fear. And here's what I love. What does he say to them when he falls in front of them? Look at verse 30. He brought them out of prison. So he walks them out. It's interesting he didn't reattach their stocks, isn't it? Oh, good, you're all here. Let me lock you back up and close the door and sit awake. Let me get a five-shot espresso and make it through the night. He then brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So he not just took them out of jail, he took them into his home. These were guys that were just sitting in that disgusting inner cell that he had just tortured and mistreated. Now they're standing in his home. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. So remember, they had been beaten publicly. And then also he had created some wounds in his harsh treatment of them with the way that the stocks would have been fastened to them. He's washing and cleaning their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I love this story. It's midnight. It's the middle of the night. He takes them out of the jail after falling in front of them. He says, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? And they say simply, believe in Jesus Christ. And he immediately starts to, he believes in Jesus. He cleans their wounds. And then he and his family are baptized that night. They shared a meal together. But then he took him back to prison because that's where he is the next day when we find him. Think of this jailer for a second. Think of this cruel jailer. Think of his backstory. Here's what I love to think of. I love to look at his moment of salvation where he's on his knees in front of Paul and Silas. Like, what do I have to do to be saved? He gives his life to Jesus. He trusts in him and what he did. And then he's immediately baptized with his family that also believed what he believed. But you look at his story. Again, according to Matt Chandler and historians, many, if not all, but many of these guys leading these jail cells are highly decorated Roman war heroes or at least soldiers. What would he have seen in battle? What would he have witnessed? The Roman Empire was known for their cruelty in battle, their cruelty in war. So he saw things. And here he is now, his journey that led him to this day and to this night where he's sitting in his chair, he falls asleep, he wakes up, he's ready to take his own life, he has stopped, and now he trusts in Jesus. Just think, how much did Jesus love that jailer? That story had been in motion for so long and it led up to a moment where he was so close to taking his own life that Paul had to shout to stop him. You want to talk about going from death, near death, to life, that's it. This jailer was the one that God was going after. So you look at this story. You look at God's plan for his life. My goodness, this is a miracle. He became part of the church core that launched this Philippian church that Paul talks about so often in the New Testament as being this amazing place. So my question for you is, what was the miracle in this story? Is it the earthquake? Was it the fact that their chains fell off? What was the bigger miracle? Not according to Paul and Silas. 
The bigger miracle was a life set free from the prison of sin. The bigger miracle than an earthquake was one man giving his life to Jesus. That's the bigger miracle. And we oftentimes say, no, 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 it's the earthquake. No, 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 it's the healing. No, it's the financial windfall. No, it's all. And God, over and over, Jesus, over and over, we see over and over that the greatest miracle is one life being brought from death to life in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle of all. That's the biggest one. And so I look at that and I think of my life and how often has someone asked me, hey, tell me your story. I'm like, well, my story's not that great. I was four and a half years old. And my mom sat me down in front of the TV where Billy Graham was on WPIX and Channel 11 in New York. And he was preaching the gospel. And I sat there and understood and had questions about hell and all that stuff. And I'm like, Mom? And she's like, yes, I've been praying for this. And she knelt down and we prayed together. And that was it. Now, I wasn't like the boss baby at that point running a criminal organization or anything. I was a pretty low-key child. So I don't have this incredible backstory, but you know what? I used to look at that and be like, my goodness, God, why didn't you give me a cool story? I don't have a cool story. But guess what? Every single story that we have is a resurrection story. Every single story of those who have given their lives to Jesus is a story of going from death to life. And I'm going like this because that's what we're about to do right there. Baptism is a, is a symbol representing that in Jesus, we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. And that's a beautiful picture. We're going to have a bunch of people today get baptized and say publicly that they have given their hearts, they've given their lives to Jesus, and they want everyone to know it. It's a public proclamation of this private reality of what God has done in their lives. And it is a miracle every single time. And it's a story of a God who pursued you and pursued you and pursued you until that day that you said, I believe in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a jailer after an earthquake. Other times it's a four-year-old on his knees in front of the TV. In the eyes of God, they are both beautiful and they are both miraculous. And the world needs to hear your story because you are a miracle in Jesus Christ. You are a miracle in Jesus. I love this story because I feel like this is such a beautiful picture. Paul and Silas did not move because they saw the earthquake like, nope, this isn't the miracle we're praying for. Who does that? Who does that? Nope, this isn't it. I always picture like Braveheart where they're like, hold, hold. The horses are like bearing down, hold. And they just wait and wait and wait. And then of course, you know, they pull up the spears and everyone dies. That's a bad example. But I just think of that. Or Paul and Cyrus are like, just wait. This isn't it. Just wait, wait, wait. He's going to wake up soon. Wakes up. I mean, what an incredible story. But you know what? They loved their enemy. They prayed for the one who persecuted them. And when we live and we follow Jesus, the bigger miracle isn't deliverance from our present circumstances. The bigger miracle is God using our circumstances and our storm so that even just one can come to Christ through it. That is redemption. That is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're about ready to hear some of those stories. So I'm going to pray and get changed. God, we love you so much. I thank you for what we learned this morning. I pray even now that you would stir in hearts 
for those who don't know you, for those who haven't experienced the miraculous transformation that we have that's yours through salvation in Jesus Christ, God. I pray that we would worship you today by hearing these stories and that we'd lift your name high as we leave. Thank you, Jesus, for the miracle of salvation that your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave has bought for us. It's in the powerful and transformational name of Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. I love that idea at the end that the bigger miracle was one life changed. And I think for us, if we reflect on our own lives, we can see those miracles day after day, year after year, as God has been faithful in our relationship with him. And so today we have the opportunity to hear from some people about how God has transformed their lives. So maybe if you've heard the word baptism before, you don't know exactly what it is. It's a, it's a really simple concept sometimes that we can make complicated. It's this. It's this outward expression of an inward decision. It's, an, it's kind of in a lot of ways I tell people like a wedding ring. Uh, the wedding ring doesn't mean I'm married, although if I lose it, I might get in trouble. Uh, but it doesn't mean I'm married. It shows the world the decision I've made to be with my wife and to be committed to her. And so baptism in that way is, is somebody taking the decision that they made in their heart with Christ and showing you what that means to them. So today we get that rare opportunity to see life change. Like we know for Christians that God's doing things all the time in our midst. We know it. We just don't always get to see it. And so today we get to see that life change. And for some of our people getting baptized today, they're going to share their story with you. And they may have somebody in the baptismal tank with them uh, that's been instrumental in that journey. And so our goal today is that you can celebrate with them, that you can reflect on your own lives and the ways God has transformed you and that we can sit and process how awesome he is. Uh, what we're going to do now before we move on to baptism is we're going to take a moment and we're going to receive our, usher, our offering. So ushers, you can come on forward. Uh, hey, if you're here today and maybe you're a guest, just know the offering, this isn't for you. It's for those of us who call Kensington our home. Maybe you'll be standing here today or you'll be sitting here and, and you're going to have this moment where you go, man, I, God, I, I want to get baptized. Well, lucky for you, we have a second service. And so maybe today, if you're sitting there and you haven't made that decision, you've never been baptized or um, your life has just taken a radically different angle, uh, we'd love to talk to you after service about the opportunity uh, to, in our second service, be baptized today. So that's what we're going to do over the next few minutes. Uh, As we prepare our hearts just to see and celebrate with God, uh, we're going to sing a song together that talks about this idea of a miracle of how God works in our lives.
seated, right? Not yet. I got to read this for you. So this is Jenny Peak, and I'm going to read her story. Over the past 10 years, I've struggled in abusive relationships and have been coping by abusing alcohol and staying in denial to myself about facing these issues and making changes in my life. I have always believed in Jesus and was baptized as a small child. But this past year, I finally took a hard look in the mirror and decided something had to change. In my heart, I heard the whisper of Christ. I removed myself from toxic people, quit drinking, and now I'm embarking on a true gift from God, the gift of motherhood. I have opened my heart to Jesus, and I know his love for me and for my soon-to-be-born daughter, Faith Elizabeth. That's awesome. Here we go. Jenny, how far along are you? Eight months. Eight months. All right. Praise God. Have you walk right to the front here, right there. Okay. Well, we're so excited for you, and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. It's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. test the limits of this tank here. <laughs> this is awesome. Wow. Brad. Good oh, to yeah. see you, brother. I'm great. How are you? So uh, my name is Brad Bozart. I'm 48 years old. I had, a, I had a blessed childhood. I have a wonderful parents, supportive parents. I have an awesome older brother and younger sister. And uh, in growing up, I learned a lot of the tenets of the Bible Really not through reading the Bible, but really through the actions of my parents. I learned about work ethic, learned about morals, I learned about developing strong relationships with, with people. Um, and, and we did go to church, but it was an occasional visit uh, on holidays, typically. And we just had other pursuits that uh, took priority. So when I got married, had children, uh, my wife and I, who's my wife is the best and very supportive, we both agreed that we wanted to attend church and grow our faith and introduce our kids to, uh, to religion. So we did that, um, but it wasn't the experience that we thought we'd have. Uh, we'd often get in fights, getting the kids ready, getting there on time. Uh, the message didn't resonate, and no one really wanted to go. Um, and luckily, about 10 years ago, I was introduced to Kensington and uh, tried it out and we knew it was going to be our home pretty much immediately. Uh, shortly after that, I, I met a, a friend of mine, Don Seawook, that was putting together a small group of guys. And that was really a game changer for me because I really learned the importance of a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God and really the importance of working on that every day. So if anybody's thinking about joining a small group, do it. It's, it's awesome. And I've joined an additional small group uh, on top of that with some awesome guys that have really sharpened my faith as well. So I just want to take this opportunity to, to thank my family who's here. You're awesome. Uh, uh, thank my wife, uh, my son, who's on his walk of his own, my daughter. I want to thank all the Christian men that have encouraged me. I want to thank everybody from Kensington. You know, the powerful message that they 
put together every week, and I'm just really, really excited to, to take this step as an adult. Awesome, awesome. All right, let me take that. And Brad, based on your testimony of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, all right, so remember the loosey-goosey, go down and back. Okay, perfect. I got a bad back, by the way. All right, well, if you heard it getting baptized, that's a great injury in the eyes of God. All right. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want to invite you to stand and sing with us.
why don't you tell us your story? Okay. Um, I used to have a feeling of disconnect from the world. I had two beautiful children and a loving husband, but still felt separated from them. I felt anger and frustrated a lot. It was as though there was a wall or shield around me that nothing could penetrate. I tried going to church, I tried therapy, but nothing really changed. Last summer, I met a family who inspired me and showed me another way it was possible. They told me that they went to Kensington Church, and I decided to go and bring my boys and hope that learning more about God would temper my anger and frustration and that my children might find something meaningful. One day, not long after we started attending, Pastor Cliff Johnson said that God loves us and knows us, and I felt a tremendous sense of relief. Something lifted that day, and my heart began to change. I joined the best small group, and... And as I began to understand what God loves me, God's love means I begin to appreciate the Savior we have in Jesus Christ. He shows me more mercy than I show myself, and through his teachings and love, I am open, I am found, and I am overwhelmed. I truly intend to love all my brothers and sisters, and I pray that I may be a light in others' lives, so that they too may become curious about me, my faith in Jesus, as I was before I found him. Wow, wow. That's awesome. No, that's fantastic. Let me a little bit. So look at this. This is awesome. This is community, guys. Thanks for being up here. And this is another life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and who is this guy with you here? All right, buddy. This is a great moment. Okay. Based on your faith and testimony in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, Nikki, it's my great honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. warm if you're wondering. parts of middle school, high school, and college as my family and I managed life through my dad's addiction. Growing up, I was a good girl. I never broke the rules. If everyone snuck out at a sleepover, I stayed in. But with the freedom of college, that girl, good girl was tested. While at school, I would sporadically attend church, but I didn't have a relationship with God, and I certainly didn't obey. I did more talking than I did walking. About five years ago, I moved to Royal Oak and eventually started attending Kensington. At this point, I had been actively trying to build a relationship with God, and one day I realized I didn't have any Christian friends, and I felt the desire to feel more connected to the church. I know now that that was God and not me. One Sunday, we talked about taking one step of faith, and God revealed to me at that moment I could pray all day long, but he wasn't just going to send friends to my front door, or I wasn't going to walk into church and all of a sudden know everyone. So I decided to take a step of faith and signed up to volunteer in Kaken where I was put in touch with Kayla Neighbors. We met to chat and about K-Kids, and at the end of coffee, she invited me to her small group. Since taking those two steps of obedience, God has changed my life dramatically. I began to grow an actual relationship with Jesus. I don't just talk to him at night, but daily. I crave to know him more, 
to seek out God's personality in scripture. The women in my small group and serving with gay kids have truly been gifts from God. My chains from my past are broken. I know now what it means to truly have faith. God has always been my anchor, but now he is not just my anchor, but my everything. I don't just seek him when I need something, but praise him for every good thing in life. Anxieties in life are lifted because I know in the end they are safe in Jesus' hands. I trust that he is still working, even in the waiting. For the past couple of years, I've put off getting baptized. I would procrastinate and tell myself I wasn't worthy enough yet. When I thought back on how God has worked in how God worked in those two acts of obedience, I remember God doesn't see my past, current, or future sins. He just sees the blood of Jesus. Wow. Wow. Brittany, thanks for sharing that incredible story. What, another miracle of salvation in Jesus Christ. So it's our honor, based on your faith and testimony, that you've placed your, your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It's our honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. so much for joining us this week here at Kensington Church. We are so glad that you were here. What a great day, huh? Yeah? 
You literally, we all literally had a front row seat to life change. What an incredible morning here at church. We're so glad you've been here to everybody who went public with their faith in Jesus. Wow. Awesome. Hey, if something stirred in you, come meet with our prayer team. If you have a question, we want to meet you out in the lobby at starting point. We're going to do this all over again in about half an hour. So thank you guys for being with us. Have a great week.